Let's sing together from the Men in the Mennonite hymnal number 124. 124.
It is good to be here. From the Psalms. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. De los Salmos. Señor, abre mis labios, y publicaré mi boca tu alabanza. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Te alabaré, O Jehová, con todo mi corazón. Contaré todas tus maravillas. Me alegraré y me regocijaré en ti. Cantaré tu nombre, O Altísimo. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for being present with us here in this place and throughout our lives. May our words and our actions and our hearts honor you. May we sing with joy in gratitude for all you have done for us. In the name of Jesus. Let's sing for joy in our song folders, number 16. Number 16. I will sing for joy. We'll sing the first verse in English, and then we'll sing verse 1 in Spanish, which is down at the bottom of the next page. And then we'll go back to sing verse 2 in English. <clears throat> and you are welcome to stand.
turn to number 493 in the hymnal, 493 in the I heard the voice of Jesus say, unto me and rest. We live in a world that often feels divided, in a country where there are lots of divisions and sometimes the church feels fragmented. We come here today to celebrate the common faith we share in Jesus Christ. We confess the ways we contribute to division and we yearn for God's spirit to bring us to oneness in Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians, for he is our peace, 
In his flesh he has made us into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. Como el apóstol Pablo dice en Efesios, porque él es nuestra paz, que de ambos pueblos hizo uno, derribando la pared intermedia de separación, aboliendo en su carne las enemistades. So let us stand now and share the peace of Christ with one another. La paz de Cristo sea contigo, or the peace of Christ be with you, and also with you. We'd like, the, we'd like the children to come up, that is, children who are actually children, and then those who um, haven't lost their young spirit are also welcome. children's time about Samuel. Were you here for that? I'm not sure. But a lot of those people were. So if you remember the story about Samuel, Samuel was a young boy and he was awakened in the middle of the night and he heard the voice of God and he thought it was Eli, the, the priest who was taking care of him, and it wasn't. So anyhow, we heard that Eli, uh, that Samuel heard the voice of God as a young child 
and followed it. And the story I'm going to tell you today talks about uh, Samuel as an older person. So, um, it came at the time in Israel when they had to choose a new king. And Samuel was still listening to God, even as an old man. Isn't that great? And so, uh, God said, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to go to the house of Jesse. He has sons, because in that day and age, um, sons were important. We now know girls are too, but sons were important. And God said, I will choose. The Lord will tell me which one to choose to be the next leader. And so um, he got up and he went to he went to Bethlehem and he saw that Jesse indeed did have sons, <laughs> eight of them. And they look old to quite young. So he had sons. So that was done. And everyone was all excited because uh, this was a very special visit for the prophet to come and visit. They didn't know, they knew someone was gonna be chosen for something, but they didn't know anything about it. And so, you know, if you have, oops, if you have lots of brothers and sisters, or just even a few brothers and sisters, you know that sometimes there are some disagreements that go on between siblings. And you can imagine the more siblings there are, the more disagreements there could be. There are also some really good times. But here they are, the brothers. And everyone's preparing for this feast, for this special visitor, Prophet Samuel. And so somebody has to take care of the sheep. Guess who gets to go to the field and take care of the sheep? The youngest one. And that would be David here. So they said, hey. Uh, this is important, we've got to stay here, you're young, go take care of the sheep, which he did. And he was a great shepherd. I don't know if you know what a shepherd does, but there he has his harp under his arm, he has his flock of sheep, and his job is to see that nothing harms them, that they don't go wandering off, that they have enough uh, water and food, to, he leads them to places where there's enough food and uh, grass to eat, and then there are lots of times where he just sit and he played music, which is an added bonus. And he's watching for plants that they should, poisonous plants that they shouldn't eat. And he's watching for jackals who look for sheep who are going off to the side. So David's very good at what he does. And he's also practicing with his slingshot because you never know what might come up across the hillside. And so he practiced, he was a great shot. He's aiming for that hole, that knot in the tree. Bingo, straight on, he got it. So, then he's listening because he heard something strange, a sound that he wasn't familiar with and it wasn't hopping like, oh, wasn't a rabbit, wasn't tweeting like a bird. It was a thumping sound and so he was on alert, look at him. He's on alert saying, what in the world could that be? And wouldn't you know, there is a bear lurking behind. So. Because he's a good shepherd and has practiced, he was ready. He was prepared and was able to take down that bear and save his sheep. So all this is going on. He's doing what any good shepherd does, takes care of his sheep. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. No, meanwhile, back in Bethlehem. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, back in Bethlehem, while David was watching the sheep, everybody's getting ready for this big festival. The brothers were all there. And I have to read it a little bit. The brothers were all there, but before they sat down to eat, the prophet said to David's father, have your boys walk before me one by one. Today, God will choose one of them for something special. So you see the prophet here on the one side. This must be the father, and there the boys in waiting. Well, in that time, uh, the older boys, boys were important, and the older ones were important. So David's oldest brother walked before the prophet. The Bible, not this storybook, but the Bible says, whoa. Samuel thought to himself, now that must be the one. That's a fine-looking young man. And God said, no, hold on. You look at the outside, but I look at the heart. It's not this one. So Samuel listened to God again. No, it's not this boy, said the prophet. The next oldest boy walked before the prophet. No, it's not this boy. And then the next oldest brother, one by one, they walked by the prophet, and the prophet shook his head and said, no, next, no, next, no, next. So you can imagine, everybody's wondering what is going on here. I bet Samuel's thinking about what is going on here. One by one, the brothers walked before the prophet, and one by one, God said no. Then prophet asked David's father, have you no other boys? And he said, they said, well, yeah, the youngest, he's out herding the sheep. Send and get him. Unheard of. Send and get him. So he went. And David came running, harp under his arm, hopping up. His cheeks were red, the wind blew in his hair. Walk before the prophet, David said his father. David walked before the prophet. This is the one, said the prophet. This is the boy God chooses. And the prophet poured sweet-smelling oil on David's head to show that he was the chosen one. Now, I don't know if we can get a grasp of how astonishing that is. Seven, eight sons, and the youngest is the one that's chosen? God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the heart. And those, that's surprising. And all throughout the Bible, there are stories of how God just looks at the world differently than we do. And I think that's what Steve's going to be taking various um, Bible stories and showing, pointing out how God's look is so different from sometimes the way we as humans look. Thank goodness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you walk with us. You walk with us when we're young. You walk with us when we're middle-aged. And you're walking with us when we're older. We thank you for your faithfulness in nurturing us and in discipling us and loving us. In thy name we pray. Amen. scripture for today. Somebody's going to read with me. And 
This is a, a different story in the Bible other than what I told at children's time. This is about Moses. The scripture reading for today comes from the letter to the Gal I was here from last Sunday. <laughs> the scripture reading for today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. La escritura de hoy viene del libro de Exodus, capítulo 3, versículos 1 a 4. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Moisés cuidaba las ovejas de Jetro, su suegro, que era sacerdote de Madian. Y un día llevó las ovejas a través del desierto y llegó hasta Oreb, el monte de Dios. Ahí, el ángel del Señor se le apareció en medio de la, una zarza envuelta en fuego. Moisés miró y vio que la zarza ardía en el fuego, pero no se consumía. Entonces dijo, voy a ir a ver esta gran visión, porque es que la zarza no se quema. El Señor vio que Moisés iba a ver la zarza, así que desde la zarza lo llamó y le dijo, Moisés, Moisés, y él respondió, respondió. Aquí estoy. The word of the Lord. La palabra del Señor. Gracias. Our preacher this morning is Steve Weeby Johnson, friend and brother. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Steve. We thank you for this church. We thank you for everyone sitting in the pews. May we be prepared and ready to hear a word from you this morning from the lips of Steve. Open our hearts, open our eyes. Help us to listen and learn. In thy name we pray. Amen. It's been a long time since I've preached here, so it's fun to, to do this. I'm always... Um, sort of surrounded in the, or, or invited into the mystery of how God works when I think about the songs that people have chosen. Um, and Ellen, this I Will Sing for Joy <clears throat> touches on, in many ways, right at the heart of what I'm wanting to talk about today. And, and in, in it, <clears throat> talks about joy because of, of God's love talks about daily work, it talks about sharing, but then it also talks, talks about God's presence. He will never leave you nor abandon you. He needs you to help, for there is much to do. And so that that's, that's sort of begins to situate this sermon for you. The second 
orienting little bit has to do with a movie called, I forgot to ask for the cordless mic, so I'll just sort of step close to the side. Um, the second, second little situational thing is, is a movie called uh, The Fault in Our Stars. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's, it's based on a book by uh, somebody green is, is his name. But anyway, in the book The Fault in Our Stars, it's about two teenagers, both of whom are dying of cancer. And they, the one has already lost a leg and uh, the other is, has battled through for many years a, her cancer. And they meet up at a support group and they start to get to know each other. And there, uh, there's a point at which in the story, she is sharing about this philosopher that she loves. And the boy in the story is saying, you know, I, I don't want to die because I want to be great. I want to leave a mark in the universe. She, in contrast, says, says you know, I, I really don't think about a mark in the universe. I think about doing and being my best person here, here. And, and so there's this tension that becomes, gets expressed in a statement coming from physics. She, coming from her, her philosopher, uses this illustration of between one and two, there is an infinity. But also between one and point one, there is an infinity. And between point one and point two, there's an infinity. So the universe is made of this great infinity, the huge picture, but it's made of an infinite, infinite number of little pictures, little infinities. And the point of it is to say that each one of us is living and functioning within our own infinity. And that's the gift that God gives us, this completeness that's finite and that's part of the infinite. So anyway, that's the second point of orientation. The third point is the missional church because there the song touches on that missional church thing. That each one of us is called by God and given, given a life to live in the presence of God. What we do with that life, whether it's a great thing or a small thing, whether it's massive things that impact thousands and thousands of lives, or if it impacts only a few, that is God's gift to each one of us, and we are called to do our tasks within that. For me, sermons kind of come as a chunk, and this one happened to come as five chunks. So I'm going to have to move fairly quickly, 
The first one, maybe I'll use this one. Is this, can you turn this mic on? Because I can't stand being tethered to the pulpit like this. Um, the first story is this one that we've just read. And the thing that's striking to me about the story is, is that Moses, it's sort of, you get the idea that Moses is, is going along. We already know, the reader has already heard the story about Moses' birth, Moses' life in Egypt, Moses' returning to his, his people, and so on and so forth. So now he's serving, he's, he's guarding the sheep of his father-in-law. And he's out and about in the fields, and he's just struck. His attention is drawn by a bush that's burning. I'm not sure how common bushes that burn are. But at any rate, he didn't stop to look because the bush was burning. He stopped to look because the bush was not being consumed. So he paused there, and he, he turns towards the bush because it's not being consumed. And then he begins to approach the bush, and then it switches to God, the story, as it's told, and it says that when the Lord God noticed that Moses had noticed the bush that was burning but not being concerned or consumed, God reaches out to Moses and he has this conversation. And he tells Moses, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna use you to liberate the people of Israel. And Moses in a sense, forgets all of his past history. You know, he, he forgets that he grew up in Egypt. He forgets that he knew the language. He knew the courts, the royal courts. He forgets all of this and says, how can you possibly do this? You can't, you must be mistaken. Talk to somebody else. What does God say to, to him? He goes back and forth telling him a little bit about, he rehearses what he's sending them to do. And Moses says, no, you've got it all wrong. Send somebody else. God's response, and then he also says, how will I know that it's you who sent me? And the, the verse I love here, the one I find most interesting, is in, in chapter 3, verse, verse 12, where he says, but Moses, this is 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? See, so he's completely forgotten the fact that he grew up in Egypt and the Pharaoh's court and all that. He's totally forgotten that. And he says, the God says back to him, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. <laughs> now this... See, this is where the sermon started. Because I was, I was reading this passage in South Africa back in September. And, you know, you know, I'm approaching 
few years from retirement now. And all of a sudden it hit me, you know. God calls Moses and he says, I will be with you. And the sign isn't something you're going to see in the next couple of days. It's not going to be something you see in the next couple of months. It's going to be something you see at the very end of your career. Then you will worship God on this mountain with my people, and then you will know. <laughs> that doesn't work for me, you know? <laughs> doesn't work for me at all. So that's what started me sort of churning away at things that came, became this sermon. And so I started looking at various call stories. In Judges chapter 13, we have a call story that I find fascinating, and that's the story of Samson. Now, Samson, some people say Samson's a type for Jesus. I find he's the antithesis of Jesus. So don't, don't think I'm going that direction. Samson fails to recognize the Spirit of God. He acts through the Spirit, it says, at different times. But as far as him really owning God calling and using him, doesn't happen. So what does happen? In chapter 13, we see that there's this, uh, Judges chapter 13, Israel is in the hands of the Philistines. They've turned back and forth, uh, turned away from God multiple times. Oh, no wonder it didn't work. I'm in Joshua, not Judges. Okay, sorry. Uh, so they were in the hands of the Philistines, and, and it talks about Manoah, Samson's father, and the Spirit of God, the angel, comes and speaks to Noah's wife, who is barren. And the Spirit of God says to her, you're going to conceive a child, and that child is going to be raised to set the people free, to release us from the Philistines. And you've got to raise him as a... Uh, Nazarite, so free from various things and the haircutting and so on and so forth. When she comes back, because they don't say her name, to her husband, to Manoah, she tells him. And the thing I love best here is that Manoah, he doesn't say, praise the Lord. He doesn't say, oh, we thank God, we're finally going to be liberated. He doesn't say, Oh, that's amazing. God has called us? <laughs> None of that. He says, hold it, hold it, hold it. If this angel appears to you again, hold on to him because we need to find out how we're supposed to raise this person. So Manoah, in spite of his faith and so forth, does not respond happily to God's choosing them. As much as he probably wants the liberation of Israel, he doesn't really 
latch on to the idea. Let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we are to do concerning the boy who will be born. God listened to Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as, he, as she sat in the field, but her husband was not there. So she calls him, comes, and anyway, they have a conversation. So, interesting story. You get, you follow through that story, and what you see is Samson never really acknowledging God, listening to God, anything. The Spirit comes upon him, he does things, he slays, he responds. But any sense of real spirituality, it's absent. You get to the end, his hair's all been chopped off. You get to the end, and he's in the temple, and all these people are gathered. He asks, where's the structural support of this building, and so forth. He's blind. He's put between these two pillars, and he feels his strength returning, and he pushes down the pillars, not to bring about the liberation, but to get revenge. That has nothing to do with Jesus' sacrifice, as far as I'm concerned. Next, next story, Esther. Esther is also, this story takes place also in a time of conquest, a time where, where Israel is subject. Esther chapter 1 begins with, with uh, the story or the, the situation. This happened in the days of Asurerus, the same Asurerus who ruled over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. That's a significant swath. And anyway, he's got all kinds of uh, he does a huge party, lasts a hundred and some days. Then he has a feast after that. And our story about Esther comes in where, where there's been a whole series of events that conspire to target various peoples, and, it, and the, the Jews are one of those peoples. And, and she... Um, is in the courts of this, this king. And her uncle does not give homage to the king. And he is getting more and more concerned about the fate of Israel and what is going to happen. And he eventually gets to the point where he has a sit-down with Esther and he says to her, uh, when he says to her that, uh, you know, you're in this position of privilege in the house of the king. And don't kid yourself that just because you're in the royal court, you're going to get any special mercies. 
and the Jews are not going to get any special, special mercies unless you speak out. And he says to her, who knows, maybe you were given this great beauty just for this moment. Maybe all of these events that have taken place in your life to bring you to this point where you're living in the king's household, maybe that's the whole purpose of your life. She puts it on him, or he puts it on her, and she eventually becomes convicted to follow through on it. The next story is two stories combined, and that's Elizabeth and Mary's story as we see it in Acts. And in chapter 1, the angel appears to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, and he's in the temple doing worship. So it's, it's a situation where the man of God <laughs> is in the temple doing his priestly tasks, etc. God speaks to him, and... and and Moses or Zechariah doesn't really believe. He's incredulous. And he's told that his wife is going to conceive and all of this business. And what happens? But he says, uh, God, God says, because you aren't believing, I'm going to take away your voice. But what happens is Elizabeth gets pregnant. And this word is going to be fulfilled. But then immediately following that story in Luke, the angel of the Lord appears to Mary. And Mary, in, in many ways, is like, like David in the story that, that uh, Jeanette shared. A very unlikely candidate. <coughs> Sorry, I didn't bring any water a very unlikely candidate. But God, the angel, comes and visits Mary. Mary has no real sense of doing grandiose things. You know, she has no real idea that God's going to use me in some mighty way. But then the angel of the Lord comes to her. She asks a few little questions of saying, you know, how's this going to happen, you know? The angel responds, and he says, beyond that, beyond all of this, what God's going to do in you, your aunt Elizabeth, she's already pregnant. Now, a thing that people don't usually observe here is that the thing, <laughs> you know, Mary's there at her house, she receives this word. She says, okay, angel of the Lord, do what you said you're going to do in me. And the angel leaves. But what happens immediately after that? Elizabeth gets up with the one bit of information she has, other than that God's going to do this thing. She gets up with this, this statement that Elizabeth, your aunt, is already pregnant. So, so Mary is sim not simply this, she's a receptive vessel, yes, in a lot of ways, but what strikes me most is she takes the one bit that she can confirm and she does it. 
you know? So she's not, she's not, thank you. I'm recovering from a, these crazy colds that are going around and I didn't think about getting some water, thanks. So, so Mary does the one thing that she can confirm and that is she goes and sees her aunt. And then it's this beautiful, these beautiful songs and so forth that she sings and and then later Zachariah in, in giving the name to John the Baptist and so forth. So it's this story of, of call and the calling of both women and the promise that God will do these great things. Then the last one I want to touch on, and then, and then I'll just do some summary remarks, is chapter 10 of Luke, or of Acts, I should say, where where Cornelius is spoken to first. And Cornelius is a pious man, giving alms in all of this business, and he's told, go find this Simon, who's staying by the seaside with Simon and Tanner. Now, the thing for me that's interesting is, you know, Peter, Peter at this time wasn't a very pious dude, you know? I mean, he was a fisherman, you know? And, 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 uh, as you recall, I think from uh, earlier, is it in Luke, the story about him, him, uh, the naked fisherman? Isn't it Peter? I wasn't going to mention that one. But Peter puts on his clothes and dives in the water. So he was fishing naked, right? And he sees Jesus at the side of the water and he puts his clothes on and dives in. I always find that funny. Obviously, you don't. But um, anyway, so you've got this naked fisherman, Peter, staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And Simon the Tanner is an, is an unclean Jew, right? He handles corp, uh, cadavers, like the animal bodies, and makes leather, and so on and so forth. So, so he's outside of the city. He's by the sea. And Peter loves the sea, right? So he goes and stays with Simon the Tanner. He's, he's not primarily oriented towards the temple. He's oriented towards the sea and people and so on and so forth. And he doesn't really think a lot about clean, unclean kind of stuff. But during the heat of the day, he goes up onto the roof and the sailcloth comes down and the voice of the Lord says to him, take and eat. He refuses three times. And then the Lord says, don't consider anything unclean that I've, I've given you, right? And then Peter sits there and he ponders. Ponders these words. And then the people that have been sent by Cornelius to see him arrive and God instructs him to do what they have said. Now, there is a thread, I think, hopefully it's somewhat obvious to you, that unites each one of these stories. And the one thing that, that jumps out at me is that God is the one who acts. You know? Over and over again, I have heard the, the misery of my people. I have seen the need of my people. Therefore, 
I'm talking to you to bring about my purposes. The second thing that strikes me is what comes out in the song, that God needs people. You know, some people's theology does not allow for that. I preached a sermon and said that years ago, 30 years ago, about God's need to work through people. And I was rebuked by people shaking hands at the end. You know, a couple different people. God's sovereign. God doesn't need people. And I say, why the heck did he create the world, you dingbat? You know? <laughs> why would God make the world just to walk away? Doesn't make any sense. God made the world, and God needs us to grasp our infinity. <laughs> you know, there's this whole world out there of opportunities that God gives us to act towards God's purposes, but often we ignore that. The third thing I wanted to say is that that in most of these cases, the, the ones where God spoke directly, like to Moses, Elizabeth, or to, to well, in each, of, in each of these stories, with, with uh, Manoah and his wife, there, and each, each one, Zechariah, so forth, there's this back and forth. God doesn't just say, do this, and not negotiate, Right? There's a back and forth. So, so when we sit there and struggle with, you know, is God calling me to this or is God? Don't struggle with it in your mind. Ask God for crying out loud. Struggle with it with God. <laughs> Say, I just don't see how this can happen. You know, like, like I've been struggling with this whole thing of us, us moving uh, in this next several months. And Part of the thing for me is this year is just too full already. So why are we adding this? <coughs> why are we adding this to the list of things to do? Because for some of us, for Dorothy and me, a move isn't a huge thing. But on the same hand, it's not a small thing. Especially when this is the house we've lived in the most in all of our lives. 18 years. And uh, so there's massive attachment. There's massive attachment to this community. There's massive attachment to, to this Elkhart office. All these different pieces. Why, why are we doing this now? Right? You negotiate. But the thing is, as we've been battling with God and sharing that battle, you know, Dave comes up with, there's some people needing a place for a year to rent, you know? And... And Ben says, "Amen," you know, <laughs> and and we say, "Let's let's let's talk to them," and they they are very excited about our house. So, as a part of that battle back and forth, God God responds. Now we could say that God planned it this way all along, but I don't. That's not my theology. It doesn't make much sense. God calls people that 
listen and ponder, and then they reflect on their response, God hears their response and interacts back with them. <laughs> God spoke to Moses because Moses had turned. If Moses had kept walking, would God have said, hold on, hold on, hold on, Come, didn't you see the bush? No. Moses had to stop. I'll, I often think of Mary. You know, there's that long period, 400 years where God was silent. I wonder, how many people did God approach before Mary said, fine? You know? Most of us sit there saying, hey, look, bad timing next year? Let's talk about this. You know? So often we make excuses to not respond to the voice of God talking to us right now. You know? I can't remember uh, which point I'm on now because they weren't really points. Yet, but uh, at any rate, getting back to that original thing about the, the missional church, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that God is calling all of us, each one of us, to engage where and how we are. And, and some of our impact will be large. Some of it will be quite small. Some of it can be just a smile. Some of it can be a word of encouragement. Some of it can be great things, great ideas. But the fact of the matter is, it's when we are attentive to what God is saying to us and that we respond to God that God uses us to accomplish God's purposes. But God does need us. Otherwise, there was no point in creating us, bringing us into being. It's not God started this project and walked away, no. God started this project and showered God's love upon us. I like to see, you know, some of you know, I think most of you know, I had to quit drinking 14 years ago. Right about this time, I was 14 years ago, I was falling apart. And, and you know, there was a sense in which I was standing in, in front of a couple big questions. But the one that was this coming down all the time, Steve, do you move to the future looking backwards? You know? Do you move to the future looking backwards and, and making excuses and, and letting your dependency take control of you? Or... Do you look to the future where God is infinitely pouring out the options to say yes to a new future? So God is inviting us constantly not to be based on the past, but based on a new future. And we can... We can walk sideways for a long time, and God will accept that. That's the thing. God's infinitely patient. 
But at the same time, if we trust that God will be present with us on the journey, then we can turn full forward and walk to the future, knowing that God's calling and inviting us at every second, even every millisecond, because God's calling on us is infinite, without bound. Amen. you turn and sing the story, the Purple Songbook, to number 39. Number 39. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? We'll sing verse 1, 2, and 3, and then look down at the bottom of the page for verse 4. Will you leave yourself behind if I but call your name? 1, 2, 3, and 4. Is the time to collect the offering. Uh, we will be singing uh, number 36 in Prairie Street Sings in the folder, and James is going to give a little history about the song we're singing. So there are two parts to this song. For people who have been at Prairie Street a while, you know sort of what we do. We 
we do sort of a traditional, I have decided to follow Jesus that many of you would know or have grown up with. Um, but what you may or may not know is that the origin of that song is uh, from Northeast India 150 years ago when there was persecution of uh, the church there. And uh, one of the members of the church was asked to recant their faith and refused by composing the text to this song, I have decided to follow Jesus. So we sing with the global church when we sing that. Um, the second part I first heard in South Africa, uh, which was a South African version of uh, the same song. And we put these two together. Uh, and if you know this song, please sing along. If you don't, you'll soon pick it up. And we're going to sing verse 1 in English. And then we'll sing verse 1 in Spanish. And verse 2 in Spanish. I have decided to follow
story number 40. We will follow Somlandela. Please stand in spirit or in body. We'll sing in Zulu, in English, and in Zulu. so that together we may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 